Well, hey there, everybody, and welcome back to Game Store Profits, the show where geeks to get together to talk about God and board games, too. Uh, this voice that you haven't heard in quite a while is Luke Navarro. And this voice is basically really happy that we talk about board games and not video games. Well, you know, there's less of us, so the trauma is less. Well, the, uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Mike Perna. And I have to say, Luke, like, early on in our, our days here, we did a, kind of a mix of board games and video right. games. And that, that kind of faded away as we kind of... Uh, yeah, for the, well, especially as we don't play very many video games anymore. Right. But the whole thing kind of faded away as we kind of focused in more and, and started focusing on the ministry and stuff like that. And I'm really, really glad of it because have you heard of this thing that is happening on the internet called Gamergate? Just very recently, you uh, you informed me of this, but it yeah. Go ahead and describe. I, I don't want to put too in, much in short one sentence. Yeah, it's basically a bunch of internet trolls who use non gamer girls. Absolutely, especially developer girls. And absolutely, girls. absolutely hating. And there are some people who will make the argument that it's not necessarily about misogyny. It could just be trolls being trolls, and I I don't care at this point. I don't care who the focus of the hate is. I don't care what the what caused the hate. I'm just telling you, when people who make games and talk about games are getting death threats and their families are being threatened and just the wow, I'm just if if you have some spare time and really don't mind looking into the soulless void that is the internet, uh, look up the hashtag Gamergate on Twitter, and wow. Can I jump into something here? We normally do the spiritual stuff at the end, but uh, I'm going to front load a little bit today. Go for it. So here's the thing, folks. Uh, I hope, I really hope, and I believe, I trust, that nobody in our community would be involved in something like this. And because of that, we kind of maybe sometimes just ignore it. Or we kind of look at it and go, man, the world sucks. Jesus, come back sometime quick. You know, but I want to look at it from another perspective. So often we call our culture post-Christian. And what we mean by that is everybody's done the Christian thing already and everybody's decided, I'll forget it. I don't need religion. I don't need Jesus. I don't need God. Well, guess what, folks? Clearly we do. Okay, because nobody's comfortable with this. Nobody's comfortable with the fact that somehow we have all ended up in this society, the society that we made ourselves, that we create, we're part of, that is so screwed up that people who are involved in a hobby are saying, I want to kill other people involved in that hobby. For not now, doing the hobby the way they do the hobby. That is so messed up that everybody has to stop and go, wait a minute, there is something... This is not just about video games. This is just not not just about internet culture. This goes way, way deeper into who we are as a people. And, you know, sometimes I feel overwhelmed. It's like, we can't fix this. But I know what we can do is we can influence the people around us. First, to come to Jesus and say, I'm going to follow him as my Lord and Savior. And then to say, I'm going to live a morally upright life. I, I will sin. Yeah, I will. But I'm going to do my best to follow the Spirit and live a morally upright life and be a good example for those around us in the hopes that maybe as more and more of us do this, we're going to be able to move that medium over a little bit away from the insanity it is at right now. And uh, and I just it, it's fun because recently I've been I've been kind of digging into some of my older CD collection because I got a new car recently and it has a CD player again. Okay. So all these things that have been tucked on a shelf somewhere have actually become more important to me as far as a practical thing. So I popped in the CD from a side project that John Popper from Blues Traveler, which is like my favorite band in existence. Uh, he did a side project called John Popper and the Dusk Gray Troubadours. And one of the songs on there has been ringing through my head over and over and over again throughout this whole nonsense and internet bleh. Uh, the song's called Make It Better. And 
what the song goes into other stuff at all, and I, I am taking this line a little bit out of context but the refrain that goes over and over and over again is i don't ask why i just say how can i make it better and that that's just the the thing that's going over and over in my head these days is is yeah it seems so huge and how are you going to fight trolls who would who if it wasn't this they'd find something else to fight over and to spill bile and and make these threats and you just go there's no stopping it you know what if every one of us who listens to this right now goes out and actively tries to make things better even if it's just a little bit we're going to make that dent and yeah i think we should do that i totally agree and I, I also just kind of want to say, even though we are on the internet right now, and that's how you're listening to us, the internet is not, in my experience, a accurate reality, an accurate picture of reality. No. Okay? In my experience, most people are good. Most people will stand up against people like the trolls. You can't troll in real life. Because somebody will show up and say, you need to quiet down and get out of here. But we still have this this internet culture and it's becoming more and more like i mean i know we're kind of getting into that we haven't even talked about what we played this week but my kids started school this week right they've got essentially what it is like a little mini social network for their classroom and like they get points when they do good and, and marked off when they do bad and everybody can see where their points are at and that's cool i get it it's a decent you know teaching tool but it kind of freaks me out a little bit too. It's like, what, what happened to chalk? <laughs> and <laughs> well, well, we're talking about getting back to an analog world here. Let's get back to the the thing that we love to talk about. <laughs> the thing, there you go. I see analog I, video games. See how I just grabbed that and brought it back over. So man, I feel like it's been forever since we've talked. It's been a long time. It has been because we took we took the week last week instead of having. Uh, uh, a normal episode with the two of us. I put out a ton of a Gen Con bunch content. of Gen Con episodes. So okay, so obviously you went to Gen Con. So before we get to that, I've only got one game that I think that I've played over the time we've been gone, but I think we've never discussed on the show. Ooh, I could be wrong because it's an old game, All and right. we maybe have discussed it. Uh, but it's a game called Zularetto. Ah, I think we may have, but not at any length. So please, okay. talk a little bit about Zularetto. So Zularetto is a zoo-building game. Uh, each player has a, a little mat in front of them that uh, consists of a barn and several stalls. Each of the stalls has a different number of spots. Uh, and the mechanic of the game goes like this. The player draws a tile. On that tile, there'll be an animal... And sometimes some other things, uh, maybe a, a a vending stall, a vending cart, maybe a, some money, but most of the time an animal. In the center of the board, there are trucks. The trucks are essentially little wooden devices that hold three tiles. And so you take your tile and you put it on a truck, and play continues. At any point, you can decide. I want one of those trucks. Not necessarily the truck you put tiles on, but any of the trucks that are out there with any combination of stuff that has developed over the round. Once you pull that truck, you're done. You're out for the round, and the rest of the players go. Your goal is to fill up your stalls with like animals. Now, this may sound like a very simple game, and it is a reasonably easy game. It's it's like the lightest version of euro game you know <laughs> uh it's like and and a lot of people would call it a kids game i think that's wrong okay i think no, the only I, I think i think it, it falls in the i think it falls in the category of an adult game that can be enjoyed by kids yeah i wouldn't even call it a family game because it's not inherently childlike other than it's a zoo and apparently when you think of zoos we think of children which, sure, I get that. But So even as I describe this game, you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound very interesting. And when I described it to the people who we were playing with, they all kind of had that look. You know, you've seen that look around the game table where everybody's committed to playing a game 
And then as you start teaching, everybody kind of goes, oh, I don't, uh, I think I may need to go get some dinner. Um, <laughs> you know, oh, man, it looks like there's too many people here. Maybe I'll step out. But as you actually play the game and you realize what the dynamics are, it becomes very tactical because you're not just trying to fill your board. you got to shut down other people's boards as well because you realize that if everybody was just nice to each other, the game would be over instantly, right? You'd just be like, blah, 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 I fill it up, I'm done. Yeah, but this is a board game. Nobody's so ever nice to each other. This is a game where you have to strategically place those animals on that truck. I'll give you an example. Let's say uh, the person to your left is really needs a monkey. It'll fill up one of his stalls. He'll get some victory points. He'll get some money. It'd be great for him. But he doesn't want cheetahs. If he gets a cheetah, then it's going to just cost him in the end. He doesn't have cheetahs. He's not building cheetahs. He doesn't want them. Well, somebody gets a monkey, puts it down. He wants that monkey, and he's coming after you. You know that if you don't do anything, he's going to get that monkey He's going to take that truck and score. Well, you pull a cheetah. Well, of course, you need to put that cheetah down there. So now he has a choice. Yes, he scores, but he also has to take the negative. And as you go through the game, there are some other uh, mechanics as well. You can expand, you can trade, you can buy, you can sell, you can mate animals. It's a really fun, solid game. And it's the kind of game I love. And... I've talked about this in the past. I know I never do a good job explaining it, but it's the kind of game that has such a streamlined, simplified mechanic and goal, but with enough variation that there's tactics involved. That's the kind of game I love, where there's just like this one thing going on and you guys are all vying for the one thing, uh, rather than well, there's 19 different options, and you do your thing, and I'll do my thing, and at the end we'll count up and see who has the most victory points. I like games where we're, where we're competing and vying over resources, and I want this, but you want that, and I'm going to give you this because you don't want it, and then I'll take this, and I love that kind of stuff. It definitely sounds interesting. I've heard about Zularetto a bunch from a number of people. I have never, I've never even seen it. I've never I've never witnessed a game being played. I certainly haven't played it myself. But from everyone who's talked about it, I it seems like a really really good game. It's it's a really solid game, but it does kind of it's back in that older range, you know, where a lot we've talked we've had whole episodes about this, so I won't get on to it too much. Right. It's one of my things. Everybody knows this. I really <laughs> like these older games that have that that seem simpler, but to me the simplicity seems truer. Yes, I know. Oh, okay, big complex games are awesome too. <laughs> All right. But yeah, you know, I mean, to me in the history of video games, or in video games, in the history of board games, it was Milton Bradley. Extremely ugly, messy, complex German games <laughs> that have all since, by the way, been remade into better versions of those originals. And then there were these this period where it was streamlined. There were these very clean but comp, clean but tactically complex games. And now we've moved back into the like there's a ton of moving parts in games now. Oh yeah, and, there are. Uh sometimes literally. <laughs> um, uh, and so I like those clean kind of games and this is one of them. So yeah, definitely it's on my list. I own it. So it's, you know, it's one of those games that if I put money down for a game, you know, I like this game. I will say that what I've been playing this week has involved a, a incredibly complex game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was one that I mentioned in the, it, it, talking about our, our Gen Con preview. It was a game that I'm really excited about. And it's a game that I was warned there is a learning curve. And that is Doomtown Reloaded. Okay. I got the opportunity to play twice. Uh, two different people went on the other side of the table to me. And there's definitely a learning curve. Because the first game went completely through before we realized, oh crap, we've been doing this wrong. So then the well, second game... 
Yeah, that happens. So then, it, whenever you play a game that nobody has played, you're going to do something wrong. Well, I'm going to tell you that this game, you know, generally I've played enough games that I can generally say, if you tell me what type of game it is, I'm going to know what I'm doing. I might get some of the finer points wrong, but generally I'll be comfortable with it. It's just from experience playing a bunch of different games. Yeah, Doomtown, it comes with a tutorial. Which I think all games should. Oh my goodness, this game required it. It's, <laughs> it. It starts out by saying, you have two decks that are wrapped in cellophane. Do not shuffle them. Do not do anything with them. You give one to your friend and one is yours. Now we are going to walk through a round of this game. <laughs> nice. So... It's it's a very complex game because you're basically you start out with with between, I think it's between one to five guys. Most people usually start out with four, and they're called your dudes. And your dudes are the guys that are going to take over this town for your side. Uh, the tutorial factions that they have are the law dogs and and the gang. I can't remember the name of it, the gang right now, but it's basically a bunch of outlaws. And each faction has their own specialty. I will tell you what, man. I there's a I, I'm looking forward to trying to convince some. This, this game releases. Uh, by the time this airs, it will be last week. And I want to get more people to buy this because I want to deck build. I want to to set up cards because if nothing else, I want to play as the fourth ring. The Fourth Ring is a faction of magical circus folk. <laughs> because di- what I what I neglected to mention is that this takes place in the... Have you ever played the Deadlands RPG? I haven't played it, but I know of it. You know of it. It's, it's, a, it's called Weird West kind of genre in which you have like mad scientists and magic and, and shadowy forces. And, I understand. Wasn't that the way it really was? <laughs> generally you're not casting magic spells when by playing a game of five card stud with the devil that's generally not how the wild west was but generally. in in this game however that's kind of how this goes but the way the mechanic of the game functions is that you start off by dealing a deck of dealing a hand of cards to yourself you play basically five card uh stud and you play what's called low ball, which is whoever has the worst hand gets to, for the rest of that round, they get to go first. So you can build your deck to constantly have crappy low cards that are going to like win you low ball every time. That's a strategy. Once you get done with that, you start moving your guys around. You start building out properties that get you money every turn. You start moving your guys to make sure they control parts of the town. You move them into the town square so they can start calling out the other guys. And that's when you get into shootouts. And shootouts are the biggest part of this game, in my mind, and it's also the most ridiculous and complex. Because what happens is that you move your guys out, you move, and they get to move their guys out, and you have to form a posse, which is you just put all your dudes out if you want, or some of them back, and this is where the strategy comes in. How many guys do you want in this fight? Because if a guy gets into this fight, there's nothing promises he's going to come out of it alive. And if, he, if you don't have enough guys back home, you're going to be in a lot of trouble next turn. So you go, all right, who do I put in here? And then you have to draw yourself another hand of cards. And the number of cards you get to draw out and the number of cards you get to switch out, poker stuff, you know, uh, five card draw style is based on the guys in your posse. There are studs and there are draw bonuses that your the guys in your posse help build up your hand. And your goal here is to get the best hand because the difference in rank between your hand and the other player's hand is the number of casualties they have to take. And this can get ridiculous because I will tell you that there was one time I was playing with my brother and I had five ranks higher than he did. Which meant that two of his guys had to be completely eliminated from the game. Like, not drawn back, not find him again later, eliminated from the game. What do you and mean by ranks? Like, he had two of a kind and you had a flush? Yes. Okay. 
as you can already tell, <laughs> there is well, a lot going on in this game, and it is really easy to get lost in the the minutia, the little fiddly bits. You know, when we when we previewed Gen Con, we talked yes. about this, and we talked about the fact that card games are boardless. First off, and second off, there's so much data on the cards, and often rule breaking on the cards, it gets hard. <laughs> yeah. And it uh, turns out that it sounds like that's exactly the reasons why this game gets difficult. Plus, they've added in a poker mechanic, so you got to know how to do that. I will, I will tell you, there is some help, because there is a board to this. Each player okay. has their own board to kind of help you manage who goes where and what is in what position. And it does give you the, the poker hands... And it does kind of tell you this is rank, you know, such and such, and you know, on, on down the line. I will say that as as much as I I talk about all the different craziness and all the fiddly bits, and you really have to want to learn to play this game. This is not a game that's played passively. Oh my gosh, this game is so much fun. I I cannot wait to to get somebody else with a starter set, so I feel less guilty. Oh about... my goodness, folks, are we seeing? Netrunner be overcome in my I think it will entirely depend on if I get people who want to play with me. I will say that this game is right up at Netrunner level of how much fun I had playing this game. Wow. Now, tell me, is that because of the mechanics in the game or the theme in the game? It is primarily the mechanics incredibly helped by the theme. Okay. I don't think the mechanics alone would have sold me on this game. Like, I think if, if they did a different theming, it would have been weird. But the I, I definitely think the mechanics are the majority of it. It's just the, the theme kind of locks it down. So let me ask you this. How pokery is the game? Like, okay, so your first cards, that's just a five-card draw. You don't, or five-card stud. You don't have any control over that. That just happens. Hard card stuff is not really a game. <laughs> uh, but it's you do are you now then start playing draw for the right. shootouts. Now, one, your cards aren't necessarily a standard deck. No, they're not. In fact, you will you will be cheating like crazy, which basically means if you have the same number and suit in your hand more than once, it's called a cheating deck. And there's all sorts of cards that do different stuff based on if you have a cheating deck. Okay. So how much poker knowledge do you need to play this game? Poker knowledge? None. Okay. Bluffing poker skill? Probably a little bit more. Like, you have to know... The so is there is there a betting mechanic? There's it, it isn't betting, but you have to before you ever draw your hand, you have to say who's in your group. So there have been times when I just put my one guy out, and he'll give me say he'll he'll give me a two stud bonus. That just means I get to draw two extra cards in my opening hand. So I have to think. Okay, do I need to put another person in that posse? to get some draw bonus because if I don't I'm screwed if my hand is bad there's no getting out of that so you have to think about and then you have to figure out like once you get your posse you can then say alright I want this guy to be my shooter he's the guy up front and then everyone else is just kind of backing him so there are bonuses that I don't want to go too much oh my goodness it's already starting to sound yeah, I'm not. I'm not kidding. It's fiddly. Do if, if you if you do not like fiddly little rules. If you do not like, you know, messing around with who's doing what when. Don't get Doomtown. But if you do, it becomes available Monday, and you need to be in that store buying it because if you if this is the kind of stuff if if the strategy of of moving your guy into another person's moving another person's deed to take control of it so that you end up taking more of the town and and stopping them from getting progress. If the idea of having a shootout where you're drawing cards to see who gets, who gets taken out in the shootout in the town square, if that sounds awesome to you, 
you need to play this game because I'll tell you what I need. This is one of those games that I really want to see played before I play. I, I yeah, I can definitely now, vouch for that. Now you're you know you're on the bleeding edge on this one, so you took one for the team, right? But <laughs> this is definitely a watch on YouTube, see somebody who knows what they're doing. Oh yeah, kind of vibe to me. And, and I will tell you that there's there's definitely it will Which, it will know, not. I I felt the same way about Netrunner, to be honest. Yeah, it will not take long before the internet will be filled with videos about how to do this because I have no doubt. Because I I promise you that all the the prominent YouTube reviewer types will already have this in their possession and are probably already creating these videos. So, I'm I, I will definitely say that yeah, you, that stuff will be out there. So did you get to play anything else uh that you picked up at the Gen Con? That I I picked up at the Gen Con no. Well, I do know of one thing that you're gonna play that you picked up at Gen Con. Yeah. Sort of. Kinda. Sort of kinda. Yeah. Well, yes and no. The, we've announced it in the past, and I'm. it's going to be brought into reality in the very near future. In fact, at the time of this recording, it will be tomorrow that we start our first session. However, we're only gonna do the basic rules. We are gonna have a inroads team... D&D game. D&D 5. Our, yeah. our in-house DM, Jeff Romo, will be leading us through D&D 5th edition, set in the basic rules. The, the free-to-everybody rules. Which is going to be hard for me, because I have a player's handbook, and I want to do stuff that's in the player's handbook, but we're limiting ourselves to what everybody can play. Right. And theoretically, I don't take this as an announcement, folks. We are working on the technological skill set required to broadcast this in some form or fashion, ideally with pictures that move. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've even heard it said that Luke Navarro might be buying a camera for I this. bought one. <laughs> nice. It's connected to my computer. Yeah, so we are going to try to... Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I don't. I mean, it'll stream, but I don't know who to want to watch it on streaming. But I think there's going to be some maybe YouTube action or something. We will figure out a way so that you guys can follow our adventures as uh, we. uh, There's going to be three players in this game: myself, uh, Mike, our and our internet dude. uh, His name's also Mm -hmm. Mike. Uh, and our personnel guy, uh, Jeff, is going to be doing uh, the DMing, and we already know he does an amazing job of DMing because he's been DMing the play-by-post. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty excited. Uh, so what do you know about the character you're playing? I'm going to be as classic old-school D&D as I could. All right. I, I'm playing a dwarf cleric. I cannot think of anything more... like. I, I can look back on D&D as a history of me playing dwarf clerics. Okay. <laughs> this is not my first time at the rodeo. I was going to say, because like, to me, when I think dwarf, the first thing that pops into my mind is not cleric. No. Oh, man. Dwarf clerics are the best. Clerics of Moradin are fantastic, and I'm super excited to play Baird Ironborn. He's going to be fantastic. Uh, the short version is that he was... I couldn't go, I couldn't help but go like semi biblical on this. My guy was basically given to the Temple of Moradin as a kid to be raised up as a priest of Moradin. However, in in D and D fifth edition, the Moradin who is referred to he's basically the dwarf deity. He is referred to often as the All Father. He is the the creator of all that was. He forged the earth and all that that exists. And uh, my guy pretty much wants to follow that to the letter. He is lawful good in its truest sense. And part of Moradin's kind of sphere of influence is the idea of knowledge. And so I've taken that to the point that Baird has gone as far as he can, having only lived in the temple, having only seen the town that he grew up in, having only been within these walls. He has advanced as far as he can. And the high priest has declared for him to move forward in the temple, he must go out and experience other cultures, other dwarven settlements, 
he has to go out and learn of things like elves. He has to go out and and basically experience life before he can come back and move forward in the temple. So my guy is seeking adventure as a a means to learn what the world is like. And he's also there to keep Bosch's character in line. Very cool. Uh, folks, we, we do know some of the backstory on our characters, but we actually don't know even their basic stats. Uh, our first episode is going to be character creation, and we are literally going to be live rolling our stats on the episode. We, we created the backstories, and we kind of did some of the, the grunt work on what's the backgrounds, what's right. the ideals, and stuff like that. Like, we, we did a lot of that stuff, but we're it, pretty much, as far as I'm concerned, like, Luke, you may have a different outset for, for this, but in my mind, if it gives me a table to roll on... I'm rolling on it. <laughs> yeah, I've literally just come up with my backstory. That's it. Uh, I'm planning on rolling everything live on the episode. And I'm also kind of viewing this like if you'd never played D&D. And we actually have uh, Mike uh, Basha has never played before. So this is going to be like if you've never played before, the most simple like here. How, how do you do it? You just dream up a character and you make him into reality. And that's kind of uh, how I'm going to be playing this game. And it will be fun, too, because we've already had... Like, we're going to try... Because Luke and I have been playing forever. Romo has been playing forever. We're going to try and be nice to Basha. But there are already kind of moments where we've just been like, dude, you really shouldn't be able to do that. Because he's playing a rogue, and he made his rogue lawful good. (laughs) I did not know that. (laughs) And at that point, Jeff and I kind of looked at him and go, Mike, you... It's really hard to be a thief who must abide by all laws of society. <laughs> but it's going to be a ton of fun. I'm really looking forward to this. And hopefully, if technology is on our side, we'll be able to be telling you, possibly even kind of in tandem with this episode, we might be able to tell you where to find this first session. Hi, future Mike. <laughs> Sorry, just thought I'd set you up there. Hi, Luke. All right, Future Mike here, as expected, as called out. Uh, However, sadly, Future Mike does not have the information that Luke is looking for. We're currently waiting to hear from Jeff, because he's the one who handled all the recording of the first session. Though I will say the first session did happen. We are pretty much the bulk of the way through character creation. We're going to finish some stuff up in the next session, and then start in on the adventure proper. Uh, because of the fact that we were dealing with a new system with one guy who's literally never done this before, ever, it did take a little bit longer, but we had a ton of fun, and I will say the dice were with me, I don't think I've ever rolled a character this powerful and this awesome, which is also fun because I rolled his personality to be kind of a jerk, but I will not spoil that, When, when that does go live, you need to watch it. We had a ton of fun, and we will continue to have fun as we bring you this 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 new world of D anD D Fifth Edition. Especially if you've never played before, we want to introduce you, and we're all very excited about that. That being said, future Mike out. <laughs> future Mike, I love that guy. He's good people. <laughs> well, awesome. I'm I'm absolutely looking forward to it. Uh, my character is a halfling wizard. Uh, by the name of Silas Sylvan Smith, uh, and uh, what I did, we're, we're playing this game of Forgotten Realms. So I kind of created a clan of halflings. You know, typically when you think of a halfling, you think of a well, you think of a hobbit, right? Or or if you're me, you think of a kender, but that's I'm um, weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dragonlance. Um, and when you know you a very pastoral, you know, farmers, that kind of stuff, right? Right. Well, I, I took that idea and brought it to the woods and uh, came up with the Sylvan Smith clan who have for a very long time lived in the woods and, and lived in a way very similar to their cousins who live out in the fields. And uh, so they have uh, figured out ways to grow crops, uh, grow mushrooms, grow some wild fruits, grow wild berries, but have domesticated that. Uh, they have figured out ways to domesticate some of the woodland creatures. Uh, 
Some even believe, uh, the stories are told, that there are some who, uh, who have domesticated bears, kind of like we domesticate dogs. Nice. Um, and uh, so Silas is uh, actually a uh, a great 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 uh, grandson uh, of his namesake. His uh, ancestor is also Silas. Uh, lived in a worse, much darker time uh, when the forest started to change, and the forest got sick. The creatures and the trees, even. Uh, grew dark and uh, many of the Sylvan Smiths just left they went back to the fields went back to their cousins on the farm but Silas uh, the elder decided he he would fight for the forest and uh, he made his way deeper in and deeper in and he found the uh, the source of the evil he defeated that evil but along the way he uh, he was wounded and his wound was critical life-threatening. Uh, he finds his way back home, and uh, there he is met by a fey creature who is thankful for the sacrifice he's made on behalf of the forest and offers to heal him. He rejects their offer and asks instead for a blessing on his son. Uh, they agree, allow him to go to his peace, and uh, give a blessing to the sun in the form of a connectedness to the fey magic. Well, that connectedness has passed down from generation to generation to generation to Silas. Now, life in the forest is pleasant. Everything seems just fine. But Silas realizes, like his ancestor, that outside there is evil. It is pressing and soon enough will come even to their forest. And so he knows that he has to do what his great-great-great-great-grandfather did. He needs to go to the source of that evil and eliminate it so that his people can be safe. So that's Silas. He's a, you know, he's a hero true and true. He's young, he's naive, but uh, he believes that he can live up to his name. It will be really interesting to see how the roles affect our guys. Because I think you and I both have an idea of what we want our characters to be like. And it'll be really interesting to see when we actually start getting to the dice rolls. Because, I don't know, have you looked much into the, the background? I have, yeah. And so, I, I did kind of see, like, uh, I wonder how much of this is going to adjust. Uh, when I And what I love about some of these charts they're not all positive traits. Oh no. Oh no, no, but, no, no. But they're not like, like, so back in the day when you'd roll on a chart like this, everything was so clear cut. Yeah. You're bad or you're good. These are very nuanced. Oh, I, I love the acolyte one. The, like some of the, the personality traits that, that I absolutely love that I kind of hope that, that Baird gets um, one is he spent so much time living in the temple that he doesn't know how to interact with other people. Right. Like that, that sounds fantastic. I have another one that's like, like he's utterly fascinated with the life and history of this legendary person. And so I, I can, I'm already thinking about like what like, I already named my legendary person. If I get that, like, like I'm, I can't wait to see how these roles are going to affect things because it's going to be fun. I, I even said, I, I joked that I even rolled uh, height and weight because that's something that they asked me to roll on a table for. Though I already did do height and weight rolls. I'm sorry. I, that, that one couldn't wait for, for you guys. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna be, uh, we'll be playing that game tomorrow night. And uh, if all goes well technologically, yeah, you guys are going to be able to take part in that. Yeah, and that's going to be something. I don't know if we're, we're going to establish a regular schedule for that. But at least for a while, there's going to be announcements where you guys will be able to, if not necessarily catch the stream, I don't know if we're going to set that up or not, but definitely be able to check some sessions of us playing. So if, if you didn't get in on the play-by-post, if you're wondering, man, these guys talk a lot about D&D &D and talk a lot about playing role-playing games, I wonder what it's like to actually play with them. You're you're gonna get a front row seat for that, and I've been thinking we may try to do an audio version of it, 
again, technology. But limited. again, we'll see. Tech, yeah. This is so, all new stuff. We're we're working with with we're Roll totally Twenty. Learning. We're working with totally Roll Twenty, which is great. Uh, it's a great website with with great materials and great stuff. But all of us, I think that at at most, maybe maybe half of us had ever looked at Roll Twenty before. So hopefully things are going to work well. Yeah. So we're layering Roll Twenty, Google Hangouts, and YouTube on top of each other. And so there's a whole lot of places where this thing can go sideways. <laughs> As they do. <laughs> uh, now, well, that's something to look forward to. I, I actually want to take a little bit of time in this episode and look back a bit. Um, it, uh, this is one of those news stories that hit during this kind of break that we've had uh, in recording. I wanted to talk about it. Um, and that is the death of Robin Williams. Yeah, it now, it was definitely something that we wanted to talk about, but when it happened was... You know, sometimes news stories hit when we do every other week. It just becomes weird, and we don't get to talk about it. But I think this—I think you're right. I think this one, even though some time has passed since it happened, I do want to bring it up. Now, you might wonder why in the world we would be talking about Robin Williams when we don't tend to talk about stars and all. And I'll tell you, for me, there's two reasons. One is that he was actually a gamer, Mm -hmm. and he was a real like hardcore gamer who was actually involved in the community in, in a lot of ways. You know, this was a guy who would go to game stores and buy stuff. Uh, yeah. Not, but, not, not long after his passing, uh, a story kind of got circulated about a, a game store who, who posted a picture of Robin Williams coming to their store. And basically he just walked in and said, I'd like to see where you have your Eldar right. from Warhammer 40 K. Like, so there are probably people listening to this show who are just like, what? What's an Eldar? Right. Stupid Harlequins. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So he was definitely one of us. Um, But also the reason I particularly wanted to talk about it was because of uh, the connection with depression. Yeah. Um, I'm sure everybody knows at this point uh, that it was a suicide. And uh, I wanted to talk about depression and gaming and I, I want to be really careful talking about this because we could cross into stereotype mode okay and I want to say right now I don't think that everybody who plays games is depressed I don't think that you know there would be a higher suicide rate amongst gamers or anything like that that's not what I mean okay but a long time ago when we started this thing and when we started Inroads we said and we maybe haven't said it lately but this is a ministry for the freaks and geeks yep okay the fact of the matter is a lot of us and I'm going to say especially those of us who got into the hobby a long time ago a lot of us were outsiders. And being an outsider does increase the prevalence of depression. Now, I, I hardly ever talk about it, but I will, and I'm not ashamed to talk about it. I am a diagnosed with major depression. I take medication for it every single day of my life, and I will probably, unless God chooses to take this away from me, for the rest of my life. I have been suicidal twice in my life. And I know what it is to wake up in the morning and be devastated for no reason at all. I know what it is to be terrified for no reason at all. Because when you look into your mind and you you tell yourself, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand. You you can use all the logic you want, and your body doesn't care. And it puts you through the experience of intense sadness or intense fear. It, it in a way it's like an out of body experience, except that it's entirely in body. And 
as a person who experiences that still to this day, I know how devastating it can be. And I wanted to bring up the issue because I know that, again, I believe that there is a prevalence of depression amongst those of us who were outsiders or who are outsiders. I think that, you know, whether that was part of the cause of my depression or whether it was a function of my depression, I don't really know. Honestly, I've not psychoanalyzed myself enough to figure all that out yet. I probably never will. But but it's a real problem. And, you know, you can look at somebody who's he's famous, he's rich. Uh, you would think he'd have everything, but it, depression doesn't respect anyone. It'll, it can take the person that you think is at the top of the world. You know, uh, we may have these uh, stereotypes. I know I did. For a long time, I refused to name the disease that I have. I refused to be treated for it. Because I had the stereotype that depression is a woman who can't get out of bed every day. And yeah, there are those people. But I'm not that person. But I can be walking... I literally, at one point in my life, was walking through a grocery store, just doing my daily, you know, weekly grocery shopping, and hit so hard that I was basically in tears for no reason whatsoever in the grocery store. It's real. And it has an effect. And it can be so bad that a person would take their life. And I want everybody to understand I'm a believer. I had this disease before I was a believer. I've had it since I was a believer. This is not the kind of thing that just disappears. Now, could God take it away? Absolutely. But he hasn't chosen to do that in my case. And so, you know, it's, this is not a lack of faith on my part. It's not uh, something I, you know, do wrong. I, I really have a fairly well-balanced, decent life. But it, it's an actual medical issue that affects the chemistry in my brain. And it's something I have to deal with. And it's something that Robin William dealt with. Shortly after... The, the the whole thing happened and, and the, the news and the, the media started releasing the stories about uh, what had happened with Robin Williams. Uh, I put out an article on the site uh, called Thank You, Mr. Williams. Right. And pretty much, I, I don't want to go over that. You can find it. It's in our, our on our website. But I, you know... I, I'm with Luke. I'm not. I, I have not been diagnosed as a. a uh, for me, it's not. It's not so much a disease as a situational issue. It's an emotional thing for me. I, I'm not clinical, but I will tell you what. Um, I can count the number of times I've been suicidal, and it's higher than two. It hasn't been for a long time, and. I'm very thankful that it seems like a lot and a lot of the heaviest aspects of that for myself I've kind of come through and God's really taken me through that but that doesn't mean I'm out of the woods not right. only for me not only for me personally because I still deal with my own uh, depression issues my own anger issues occasionally and, and the stuff that because depression isn't just you're sad it has impact on everything and it will it will just wreck your entire existence and not only that but the the fact that i've since you know met my wife who you know like i've said in the past she's allowed me to say this uh, she is bipolar we recently were in the hospital cuz she had an episode and she didn't want she didn't want to do anything to to hurt herself and so she so, uh, admitted herself into the hospital Thankfully, uh, this was only for a day, but you know that, that it's a very real thing. Yeah, you know, Mike. I I hope that it's no longer the case, but there was certainly a time in the church, at least in the churches that I was a part of, where because this was not, you know, not something you could see on a scan, or right. not something you could 
have a blood test for, though in fact there are now blood tests. There for are now, yeah. But but at the time you certainly couldn't. It, it was seen as a character flaw in the church. You know, if you a, if you love Jesus, yeah, if you love Jesus more, you wouldn't. And be don't get me wrong; it's possible that there were there are people that that's the case for. You know, but uh, at the time, I think we probably didn't have the same knowledge of brain chemistry that we do now. And I'm only talking 10, 20 years ago. Right. You know, uh, more 20, 20, maybe 20, 30 years ago. But um, it was something that, as a pastor, I wouldn't bring up. But I'll tell you what, our pastor now is very honest about the fact that he, he our, my pastor, pastor's psychologist, who happens to also be my psychologist, uh, preaches at our church. You know, it's, it's, we're, he's open about it, and I think that's amazing. You know, for a pastor to have the guts to step up and say that, you know, back when, there's no way I would have done that. And there's no way that the pastors who pastored me would have done that. Um, so folks, I guess what I want you to hear is these things, whether they are caused entirely by brain chemistry, and, and I don't think there's ever entirely by brain chemistry, I think what happens is that those of us who have the brain chemistry that allows us so that when we face things, hard things, the kind of hard things that every single one of us faces, it triggers something inside our brain that pushes farther than it does for other people. And, uh, you know, uh, you were talking about bipolar. That is, you know, back in the day, I mean, far enough back, people would have said that was a demon. Right. No, it's not. It's a, a chemical in your brain. Uh, and there are treatments that, in my case, they're helpful, but it doesn't make it go away. Right. You know, there are still days that I wake up and uh, because I've been through years of therapy, because I'm on medication, I can make it through my day. But I still feel those feelings. I can now tell myself, okay, this is what's happening. I'm feeling this because of the disease. Just be kind to yourself today and move on, Uh, which I think is probably the best I'm ever going to get. You know, uh, again, could God take it away? Please do. But if he chooses not to, this is my particular thorn in the flesh, you know? And I, I I want people to understand that if you're feeling this way, if you're feeling depressed, and like you said, Mike, depression isn't always just sadness. Sometimes it's a lack of happy, which could be worse. You know, when you're doing things that typically bring you joy and happiness and you feel nothing, that's depression too. And if you feel that way, go see a doctor, okay? Whether it's your family practice doctor or a psychologist, you know, I'll tell you, man, the day that my psychologist said to me, you need to be on medication, I said no. I was afraid. You know, you hear all these horror stories about things. I said, no, I had to be convinced by two doctors who had to convince me that it was the right thing for me to do to take these medications. And I honestly believe they have changed my life. But there are still people, people who are in my life right now, who if they heard me talking like this would freak out because they don't think it's right. I'm gonna, I'm saying from my perspective, folks, you might have a disease, and if you had cancer, you wouldn't say, "Well, I, I'll just tough through it." In the same way, you don't have to just say, "I'm gonna get through it," because unfortunately, folks, when you say, "I'm gonna push through depression," sometimes it turns out really, really badly. Well, I I will tell you this. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm not clinical, so the whole aspect of of the the medication part of it doesn't affect me personally but especially you know now that I've I've not only been with my wife but I've been married to her for a couple of years now 
um, when we first started going out, I she she revealed to me on fairly early on in the relationship that she was bipolar. And I had one question for her, and that question was, do you take your meds regularly? And she said, yes. And I said, that's fine. It was not that, not too long in that um, there was an experience where her meds got changed. Not gone. Not gone. Changed. I hate that. And she ended up at my house at three in the morning terrified that she was going to cause herself harm and so I will tell you that if you need the medication do not think of it as weakness do not think of it as a punishment think of it as a way that you function <laughs> because because I have seen what my, my what happens to my wife when she doesn't take her meds and I have seen what happens when she has the medication and I will tell you there is no shame in taking it well Mike you brought up another point that I think is really powerful and does tie us back into what we do here at Game Store Profits and what we do here at Indian Roads and that is the power of your community right um, now yeah she were dating her but that's still you were part of her community. Yeah. And you were before you started dating as well. Mm-hmm. And to have that there, and that's the kind of community where I have, a well, I, I now have a whole lot of people on the internet, but <laughs> <laughs> I have a group of good friends who know that I have depression. And if they see anything in me that goes sideways, they will react Right. And respond appropriately. You know, they know how to ask the right questions. And I don't consider that intrusive. You know, I, I, I again, I would compare it to any other disease. Um, but that's the power of community. And sometimes community is even a life and death situation. And the reason we promote board games as a part of our spiritual lives is because it builds fellowship. And the, the stronger, the deeper, and the wider your fellowship is, the better your life's going to be. Whether you, you, you experience depression or any other mental illness or not, if you go through in a tough time in life, if something bad happens at work, if you experience it you know, some kind of disaster. Having that strong community is what will make the difference between it devastating you and you getting through the hard times. Well, I, I shared in that article that I'm convinced that the only reason I made it through probably my my late teens to, to early 20s is is because of the community that was around me my family and my friends and basically them carrying me through that and you know if, if you're listening to us right now and you're going man that, that's really hard I, I, I don't struggle with any of that it, one you better be thankful for that <laughs> you better be and, and two if you don't it doesn't mean that there isn't someone at your table who does. Right. And we're not saying, you know, conduct a thorough search and, and have a, psych- a a therapy session after every gaming session. But what we're saying is is that when, when you're doing gaming right, at least the way we think you're, you do gaming right, it involves opening yourself up to the people at your table. And it in- involves allowing them to take up real estate in your life too and when you can do that that's when you get the opportunity to to really have an impact in their lives it's when you have that opportunity to see what depression can do and you have the opportunity to be that voice who says come back here 
do not go down into that darkness. We want you here. Because, quite frankly, there are times when all it takes is one voice, one little candle in the darkness, saying, we want you here. Don't go. You know, man, I, I am thankful that we get to be part of a community, even though we're pretty far apart from each other. Uh, and, you know, our listeners, in a way, are part of our community as well. Uh, and we don't have the kind of rich fellowship that you would get to have with somebody who's face-to-face uh, with our listeners. But I, I want you guys to know that if, if you need help, we are here. Uh, and you can find out about us. I mean, we talk about it on every episode. Yeah, I, Go nor- to Facebook group. Go to Inroads ministries.com slash contact all of that normally uh, normally that's where we leave it we say go to the contact page i'm going to tell you right now it is mike at inroadsministries.com on twitter i am mike the bard if you need more contact hit me up on on either one of those i'll tell you more contacts yeah we've got lots yeah <laughs> so folks uh, as always we're just so thankful that you're part of our community uh, oh wait we can't end speaking of community Let's talk about something that the community community can do that is on a significantly higher note than this. All right. <laughs> on October 25th, we will be participating in Extra Life, which is a yearly event where gamers of all stripes gather together to raise money for uh, Children's Miracle Network hospitals all over the country, if not all over the world. This year... Uh, team Team Inroads regulars is going to be a thing, and we're actually kind of expanding from last year. Last year was amazing. Uh, you guys who listen to this podcast, Team Team Game Store Profits East, uh, came out with a goal of raising a thousand dollars for the Children's Specialized Hospital here in New Jersey. We actually ended up raising just under fourteen hundred dollars. And to give you kind of perspective on what that does. $1,400 is enough to have one kid spend uh, two days in the the overnight care of the hospital cost-free. And you think, wow, that sounds like an awful lot of money for two days. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. Yeah. You'd think it was like three minutes. Yeah, no, two days worth of long-term care is $1,400. This year, our goal is 1500 and we're kind of kicking it out farther last year it was just the eight people that came to our event here in new jersey this year because of the fact that our audience has grown and you guys are awesome and you guys backed what we did last year so well uh and because of the fact that all of the donations we don't actually collect the donations it all goes through the extra life site it all goes through that website directly to the children's miracle network we can have team members all over the place. So if you want to have your local branch of the team in your town, you can. If you're here in New Jersey or are going to be in town on October 25th, you can come to our event and be part of the team. But we want people to sign up, to start raising funds. We want to crush this goal. I want to be able to come back next year and say our goal is $5,000. I want to say, uh, you know, come back the year after that and say, holy crap, we're going to need to, like, rent a room to hold all these people. <laughs> like, there, I can't think of anything better than to get together with a bunch of people and play games for 24 hours and have that help sick kids to, that their families do not have to worry about where the money is going to come from to have this kid get the care that they need. The, the, the concept of playing games and having that directly affect the life of a kid who desperately needs this hospital care blows my mind. And I really hope that you guys will sign up. If I will say that if you look at me and say, Mike, that's really awesome and I want to support this event and I want to support and be a part of what, uh, what Inroads is doing. But I have a Children's Miracle Network hospital in my hometown and I want to support that hospital instead. Dude, that's fantastic. What you're going to want to do is email us either at the, the email I just said or at contact at inroadsministries.com. And somewhere on the subject line, say, this is my uh, Extra Life team. Provide me a link to your team page, 
And what we're going to do is, is that anybody who's an inroads regular, anybody who comes to the site, listens to the podcast, anybody who's an inroads regular, who has a team for extra life, I'm going to put up a page on the site so that people can, can get connected to whatever team we have associated with our site. And that way we're going to get support raised for hospitals all over the place. Again, if you want to be part of our team, we are raising funds for Children's Specialized Hospital of New Brunswick, New Jersey. Uh, definitely sign up. I've got links all over the place, and I will link it when this post goes live. Um, if you want to start your own team, email me what your team is, and we will put you up on the page. That is awesome. Uh, you know, I know you guys had a great time last year. I'm sure this year you're going to hit your goal and, and bust right on through that. And, uh, man... Uh, it's an awesome thing, and folks, uh, as always, we uh, we end by saying that God is a game master, and no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.